0: is so good. Thank you team. Go ahead and be seated if you would. Inside your uh, handout this morning is an insert that's a chance for you to have some scriptures available and some memory pegs to uh, think about some things today. We have been working our way through a book in the Bible called First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. It's a book in the Bible that's short only five chapters. It's a brief read. It's the first book of letters that has been ever, that we know of written in the Bible, and it's a chance for us to really peer into and peek into the Apostle Paul and his makeup and how he felt about people and uh, about hope. That's really what our topic is today. We're talking about finding hope. In that uh, handout, you'll find scriptures that will lead us this morning as we think about finding hope. And it's from both chapter 2 and chapter 3. So I want to contrast for you a little bit today two different types of hope. Two different types of hope. And we sometimes get these really confused and uh, discombobulated, prearranged in our minds in an unhealthy way. So I want to just Pull these out and describe them and talk about them a little bit separately today. The first one, if you're taking notes, has to do with eternal hope. This is eternal hope. Not hope in circumstances or, or, or material temporary things, but hope in eternity and God's plan for us for eternity. In this type of hope, we're talking about a, 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 a hope that doesn't have an end to it, that we're looking to the Lord to provide for us. In fact, first thing that uh, comes to our mind is what we, this word we call salvation. Salvation, being saved. How are we saved? We're saved through the gospel. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. The life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus encapsulates the good news of of the gospel, the good news of the gospel. What's so good about Jesus's life? He shows us how God meant for us to live, how God would live if he were encased in a human body. What's so good about his death is he died on the cross to take away our sins so that we could become heavenly beings with God without dragging our sin with us. What's so good about his resurrection his burial and resurrection, is that it proved that he was who he said he was so that his life and his death make total sense and are confirmed to us. What's the good news about his ascension? He went home to prepare a place for us to come back to receive us to himself. Now, folks, that's the good news, and that's the basis for our hope. We have hope for eternity based on the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. Everything hangs on that good news. Everything is uh, forked through and and pushed through that great message. This is where our hope comes from. And it is eternal. It's not temporary. It's eternal. Let me just point you to this verse from Romans chapter 8 before we get into Thessalonians. For this, in this hope, we were saved. Underline that if you got your handout out. Just underline, for in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. You see the, the point there? When you have something, you're no longer hoping for it, right? He says, hope that is possessed and seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope... For what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That's the position we're in. We're waiting. We're in that we've been saved, but he's coming back for us. We're still on earth. We're not in heaven yet, folks, but that's coming. We're waiting patiently for this possession that he has promised to us, and we're hoping in that. A little bit of an ellipse there, but look at verse 38. For I am convinced, just let this soak in for a minute. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, that is where our hope lies, in the love of God. God, and that's eternal. That's eternal. That's for all of us, and God wants us to have assurance in that, not based on our own goodness, but based on his love for us. I'd say, well, way over 50% of American Christians don't have what I call assurance of their salvation. They don't have confidence in the hope they've put in God. And part of it is they've been sold an incorrect understanding of the gospel. They've got this understanding that they want to be good enough. They want to be good enough to make it to heaven. They want their good works to outweigh their evil works or their sin. And as long as you're on that system, as long as you're trying to make that system work for you, you will never have assurance and hope That is eternal hope God wants you to have. What he says is, throw out the scale. Throw out the scale. It's not based on your goodness. It's based on his promises and his love for you. That's where the salvation of our souls, that's where the salvation lies. Not our good works, not our goodness, but his goodness and his love for us. If we can just... Get that. Then we rest in an assurance of our salvation that totally radically changes how we live. We walk through life not going, oh, I hope I've been good enough. But we walk through life saying, thank you, Lord, for making me who you made me to be. It's like that song says, that's who I am. That's my identity. It's wrapped up in the goodness of God. See, by God giving us this hope, by God giving us this plan. He says, I will give you a gift. I will give you a gift of eternal life. And you have a hope that's waiting for you that's possessable now, but not totally possessable now. And you rest in that assurance. Something that goes right along with that is uh, our confidence. Our confidence. It's our salvation. This hope is our Confidence, Because we're not confident in ourselves. We're confident instead in God. I had an interesting experience this last Easter. Um, I was sitting at home on a day off on a Friday. I, always, I almost always take Fridays off. And I was, I was there at the house. I get this uh, interesting phone call. And it wasn't a typical phone call. It was a FaceTime um, FaceTime call. Have any of you experienced those FaceTime calls? Kind of like, but it was through, uh, it was through uh, Facebook. Look at this Facebook, FaceTime call. And I recognize the people, and they're from Tokyo. They're Christians who were raised here, but he's stationed right now in Tokyo. So I go, I want to take this, day off or not. I want to take this call. So I get on the phone, and it's early, early, early Easter morning in Tokyo. And uh, their question to me was, Pastor Bruce, can you explain to this guy, they were in a restaurant kind of setting, this waiter wanted to know what's so special about Easter. (laughs) So they hold the phone up and say, can you explain what's so special about Easter? Now, I just want to throw this at you for a moment. What would you say was so special about Easter to someone who didn't know who Jesus was, doesn't know what the Bible is, has no clue about the things that kind of are underpinnings, and, 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 and what would you say? And you've got about three minutes to do it. Is that a challenge? Huh? Would you, would you accept that challenge? Think for a moment how would you encapsulate the meaning of your faith, the basis for your hope? the cause for your celebration in a few moments, a few fleeting moments. Well, I was kind of disappointed in my work with this couple because I've known them a long time, and I should have, as an equipper, equipped them to do it themselves, not to hand it, to hand it to me, you know what I'm saying? But I was okay with the, with, with the, with the moment. But um, as, as we got into it, to just say some things and to try to point them into some seed sowing, In fact, uh, I've got this app on my phone that's called Uversion. Maybe some of you have that, and it's got free of charge the Japanese translation of the Bible on it. I told this gentleman about it, and he got all excited. In fact, while I was standing there, he clued into Uversion and pulled up the the uh, Japanese version (laughs) of the Bible. He'd never read the Bible before ever. And if that's all that we accomplished that day, (laughs) that morning, was to get him tuned into the source, tuned into the, the word. Because what we really wanted for this young man was so that he could have hope. Because as he described his life, he was living a hopeless life. In his way of looking at things, it was life comes to an end or repeats itself here on earth. If you follow what I'm saying, reincarnation. And for him, that was hopelessness. Wouldn't it be for you? God's given us a different picture. God's given us a totally radically different picture. And he says, there's something greater. There's something different. I made you for eternity. I made you to spend your entire eternity with me, sin free. With me, sin free. Can you imagine what heaven is going to be like (laughs) in the presence of God, face to face. Let it soak in for a minute. That's the eternal hope all of us should have, not based on our goodness, not based on how well we're doing, totally based on who he is and who he's called us to be. Wow. That's our confidence. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Look at this verse. Now faith, we spent the whole last spring talking about Hebrews chapter 11 con- faith is the confidence in what we what's the word hope for faith is the con- see faith hope and love are inextricably linked they are undeniably linked together here he says faith is the confidence we have our hope placed in <laughs> for the assurance about what we do not see see that's where hope is at It's only hope because we can't see it. It's only hope because we've not possessed it. We've not experienced it. It's yet to come. That's the hope of eternal life and the hope that is yet ours. It's our salvation. It's our confidence. One more thing I love this one. It's our anchor. This hope that's eternal, the Bible calls it our anchor. It's not that hope floats. It's that hope is our anchor. That's a movie. You know. It's our anchor. In fact, look at this verse. This is from Hebrews as well, but chapter 6. It's impossible for God to lie. Do you believe that? Do you believe it's impossible for God to lie? Yeah, he's truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us. So we do possess, we take hold Of the hope that is set before us, that we may be greatly encouraged. Hope, when it's placed in your heart, hope when you grasp onto it, hope when you hold it inside, you are going to be greatly encouraged. And see the core of that word is filled with courage. I got to ask you this morning, is your life typified? Is your life uh, exemplified by courage, huge doses of courage? If not, you may need to grasp more deeply, more robustly, more solidly this hope that he says we grab hold of, this hope set before us, that we may be greatly encouraged. Now, notice what it says about the anchor. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. No, all kinds of things in this world that could cause your, your heart and your soul to be adrift and blown one way or the other. He says, you got to have your soul anchored through hope. Souls anchored are, are anchored through the hope they have in who God is, in what he's done, and what he's about to do. He says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become... Our High Priest, forever. Well, so how's that work? <laughs> well, did the Dr. Phil question? How's that working for you? <laughs> you know, uh, the brothers and sisters here, the Blakey family, just went through the loss of Tom, one of our members. Just had his funeral, his memorial service, two weeks ago. This this last week, on Tuesday, my sister Linda passed away. 53 years old, not something we expected. She didn't have great health, but we didn't expect her life to be over. That's when you got to go, okay, where's our anchor? So I went down Wednesday, spent the entire day with my mom, my sisters, the family. And I got to tell you, our family, rooted. All my sisters, my mom and dad, my sister who passed away, rooted in a secure anchor of faith, and I, I, I don't. As a chaplain, I get to see lots of people in lots of settings, many of whom who don't have any kind of anchor. And it's at times like that, I'm so grateful for the anchor God gives us of hope that is eternal. Now the Bible says we grieve. In fact, this very passage, this very book says we grieve, but not like those who don't have hope. We actually grieve. <laughs> catch this, while we hang on to hope. We grieve because the person is gone. We're no longer spending time with them here on earth. But we don't grieve like those who don't have hope. This world is not all there is. This world is but a foretaste, a, a, a test ground for the real life that is to come. God's given us this anchor. He calls it that anchor for the soul, And I don't know what you'd hang on to if you can't hang on to the hope that is in God, the hope that's in Christ, the hope that is our eternal life. So family faith, family strength, and and just looking forward to the plan God has for reuniting family members is huge when it comes to the eternal hope that he's putting Uh, us into. Now, here's the question. How can God give us eternal hope, and yet sometimes we lose hope with the temporary things? Can you follow what I'm saying? Sometimes it's the temporary things that cause us to be upset, that cause us to, to lose hope. And sometimes the Apostle Paul would be in this predicament a paradox where he'd have eternal hope, but the temporary situation was pretty, pretty bad. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he describes it this way. He says, I am sorrowing yet always rejoicing. How do you do that? How can you be sorrowing yet always rejoicing? This is the point. This is the whole point of today's message. You can have eternal rejoicing at the same time you've got temporary sorrowing. Okay? That's why he could say, you know, morning lasts for the evening, but joy comes in the morning. Okay? Or he could say, weep with those who weep, but rejoice with those who rejoice. What happens if those happen at one and the same moment? It's not weep at times and rejoice at other times. He says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, and you can do it at both and the same times. That's what he said. I am sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He went on to say, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. How can you do that? You can do that with eternal hope versus temporary hope, or I call it here situational hope. We could use a number of words. We could use relational hope, Um, circumstantial hope. I've used the word situational hope because it's a situation you find yourself in. Paul really means it when he says that he is sorrowful, he is hurting. In fact, that comes from the book of Corinthians where Paul is, it's his most grieving letter. 18 times in that letter, he uses the word sorrowful in Corinthians. You know, He is sorrowful, yet he says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So I'm, I'm trying to drill this in. The eternal hope gives us the always rejoicing. The other things can give us sorrow. And what do we do when hope is deferred? Have you read this verse before? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's that temporary situational hope. In fact, why don't you guys just repeat that with me? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. One more time. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now, now, now there's a deferment that happens with our eternal hope, but we always are rejoicing in that. But when we're talking about temporary, situational, circumstantial hope, that's what can make the heart sick. And that's where we find the Apostle Paul in this particular letter. He is going through a crisis. He's going through uh, discouragement. He's going through a deferred a deferment of hope. Let me just read this for you. You don't have to look it up, but it's from um, the scriptures. Listen to what Paul was going through. See if you would not be discouraged or sorrowful. We commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and affliction, hardships and calamities, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights and hunger. He says, with countless beatings. Oh my goodness. Often near death, he says. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. You know, they had a, a sentence that was a death sentence. If you got 40 lashes, they considered it, you're going to die. So they'd ratchet back one lash, 39, and say, see if you can make it. Five times he got 39 lashes. I mean, amazingly, Jesus went through that exact same torture for us, but not five times. This is the Apostle Paul over. And over and over again. So you see why he could say sorrowful, but always rejoicing. I mean, we understand the sorrowful part. (laughs) Let me read a little bit more, okay? As if that was enough or wasn't enough. He says, "Um, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. So that's in addition to the lashes. He says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, listen to this, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers. He's just showing all the dangers that he's living through, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Kind of go, whoa. He had a lot to be sorrowful, huh? Sorrowful for, right? And yet, he says, I'm always rejoicing in the midst of the sorrow. What's the secret? How did he learn this? Where he could say to the Philippian church, Rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. I mean, Philippians, Philippi was the place where he was stuck in the the stocks and the bonds. (laughs) He was stuck in the uh, handcuffs, in the middle of the prison, the inner prison, and he was singing hymns of praise to God in the middle of the night after having been one of these beatings taken place on his back. What causes a man to do that? Hope. Hope that's eternal, and even hope in what God's going to do. Knowing that God turns circumstances around and even uses harsh, sorrowful circumstances for his glory. So he says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Notice the second uh, chapter here of Thessalonians. He says, Brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, underline that, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. I mean, here's this heart of this apostle wanting to spend time with these brothers and sisters in this church he had just gotten a chance to plant, spend three weeks with, and got chased out of town. Now he's saying, I really wanted to be with you. Everything in me said, come, but somehow Satan blocked our way. By the way, you see the tie-in here with evil? God is good. God gives us hope, but Satan, every step of the way, is trying to block God's best in our lives. And he says, so often it's easy for us to laugh at uh, Satan in comedy routines. You know, the pitchfork and the fork tail, and, and uh, you know, we, we make fun of Satan. But Paul was not making fun of the evil one. It was a real, experienced enemy in, in the Apostle Paul's life. He says, Satan blocked our way. I wanted to come to you, but it wasn't. Being fulfilled. Now that's a situational hope. Paul wanted to see them, but there was a block. It was being deferred. What did we say earlier? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. This is where Paul was. This hope was deferred. He wanted to see them. He wanted to see them desperately, but there was a block. And he's like, I really am upset. I'm in a bad way. I really want to find out if these brothers and sisters are following the Lord. So I want to, I to kind of point out what he does. First of all, he's not afraid to express himself. He's not afraid to express his inner feelings and how he really is dealing with it. Jot that down. Express your inner feelings. That's how you deal with situational hope that's been deferred. Notice what he says. So when we could stand it no longer, by the way, he says that two or three times, when we could stand it no longer, I'm to the breaking point, I can't take it anymore, here's what we do. We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, we sent Timothy, who is what? Our brother and our co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. He expressed this longing that he had and this desire. Now, maybe some of you would relate to this more. Um, how many of you use your text on your phone? How many text devices? Okay, that's pretty close to 100%. You know? When you text someone, it's rapid communication, right? Just almost instant communication. If you're communicating with someone and you're kind of volleying back and forth, what happens when all of a sudden... In the midst of this volley, the volley stops from their side. So you're going back and forth, and everything's fine. Then all of a sudden, and every time you text them, nothing, no response. You start to get you're, you're a little bit upset or worried or kind of go, what did I do? Did I hurt their feelings? <laughs> a day rolls on, maybe two days roll on, and you're kind of going, whoa, whoa what, what happened here? Why is there not a reciprocal communication Going on. That's probably what's going on here, except they didn't have text. They had to go long, handwritten letters, hand carried letters over long periods of time. And he's saying, I know nothing. There's a lack of information. I don't know what's going on, and a lack of communication. And so he says, When I couldn't take it any longer, I'm sending a text. His name is Timothy. I'm sending Timothy to you, and what's he going to do? Look at this. He's going to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Let me just ask you this morning, who is it in your life that God sent you to be the strength and encouragement for? Did you come this morning with the idea, I am going to go worship with God's people, and I want to be a strengthener and an encourager of someone today? Let me just point it to you. When you give, you're in the best position to get. (laughs) What's more blessed to give than to receive? If you're giving encouragement and you're strengthening someone else, believe me, you're going to get way more built up than if you just look for what's going to build you up. It's in the giving, what happened here, to strengthen and encourage the believer's. And grow them in their faith. Um, you you heard Ricky a few minutes ago just sharing his heart. You know, would God put it on some of your hearts to be strengtheners, to be encouragements to a brother like that. Because he's not alone. Right here in our body. We've got lots of brothers and sisters. In fact, you will you will always have those that are needing to strengthen and encourage you and there will always be those that you're a step ahead that you can strengthen and encourage. Look for it. That's where our hope is. We express our inner feelings and God uses our lives to be a blessing to others. Maybe you've noticed this. Whenever I pray to God, I want him to answer a prayer. 99.99% of the time, He sends a person to answer my prayer. I mean, it's so rare that he would zap something out of nothing to answer my prayer. 99.99% of the time, he answers my prayer through a person, through a brother or a sister, and sometimes through someone who isn't even connected to Christ. Guess what? That's what he's about through us even though he can zap things into existence, he chooses to use you and I. He chooses to use our lives to be a blessing, to be an encouragement, to be a strengthening point for each other. Well, That's why I keep encouraging you. If you're not in a small group where that's happening, jump on in. This is a perfect timing to get involved in a, a small group where that relationship happens. Are you at a place where you can do like Ricky just did this morning? Share your heart. Share your faith. And share your needs for, before others. Number two, write this down. Act on your hope, not on the situation. You know, Paul was worried. Paul was concerned. Paul was deliberating and saying, these guys might not be walking with the Lord. But he said, I'm going to act on my faith. I'm going to send Timothy to strengthen and encourage them and watch God at work. Because when we don't have enough information, it can be detrimental. We have to adjust our expectation. I like this phrase, Jesus keeps hope deferred from becoming hope derailed. Okay, Jesus keeps hope deferred from becoming hope derailed. What Paul was really worried about was the lack of fruit. Here's what he said. He said, So that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for um, you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, same phrase he said earlier, I sent to find out about your faith. He's uh, acting on his hope and he's sending this brother to find out about their faith. Not to find out that they've fallen, but to find out about their faith. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. See, Paul was very concerned that there be some long-lasting fruit in this church, in in their lives. And so he was looking for This temporary but um, um, momentary, his biggest concern that there would be fruit in their lives. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. Remember what God said in Isaiah 55. He said, my word goes forth from me and it's going to bring forth fruit. Trust God's word even Japanese word in Tokyo. When God's word is sown in a life and a heart, I just have faith. There's going to be some fruit there. Now, God may be calling this couple or from their church here to become spiritual fertilizer for that, that fruit, for that seed sown. Have you thought of yourself as spiritual fertilizer? You know, Your life being poured into someone else's life, Timothy being poured into these young believers' lives, it became, as it were, fertilizer for the seed that was sown in their hearts and their lives. And the hope began to be established. It began to grow like never before. When he could stand it no longer, he sent forth word to find out about their faith and to grow them. One more thing. I call it open up to be built up. If you want to be built up in your own life, then open up your heart to brothers and sisters. I call it to our uncommon community. That's really what God's called us to, a radical community of believers, brothers and sisters who are connecting together more than ever before. Get into a small group. Get into uh, an arena of believers where you are face-to-face, opening up and being built up. Paul says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. That was Paul's biggest concern, that what he had done had not brought forth long-lasting fruit. Proverbs 30, verse, verse 5 says, Weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Know when you open up, when the sorrow is there, he's got a bigger and better and different plan for you. Let that be chore number one for you. Get into a a group, get into a small group, and restore your hope inside the community, inside the brothers and sisters. So we've got eternal hope, and we've got situational hope. Maybe there's discouragements happening in one. Hang on to the other, and let the rejoicing always lead you through the sorrowful through the challenges through the needs that you have let's pray heavenly father thank you for your encouragement that comes from this passage thank you for showing us this morning uh, the apostle paul's heart and how we might replicate that in our own lives lord help us to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing Help us to see that uh, the temporary things that happen, the um, challenges that happen in this life are not here to to get us down, but because we have such a strength and anchor in hope that we see them in the right perspective. Lord, we're asking for your help this morning as uh, so many are dealing with so much. We just ask that uh, your uh, lead would go ahead of us, your strength would be seen in us, and your courage would grow in us. We turn ourselves over to you, and as we dedicate some time just now to thinking about Jesus, to focusing on his part in our lives, to focus on his uh, hope-giving, we take this time, Lord, to honor, to worship you, and to have you grow our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.